Thank you for joining us. You're listening to a sermon series from Doxa Church in Bellevue, Washington called Everyday Values. In this series, we're taking some time to dive into Doxa's core convictions and how those play out in the ways we gather, relate, and equip one another to be witnesses to the work of Jesus in everyday life. To find out more, please visit us online at doxa-church.com or join us Sunday mornings in downtown Bellevue at 9 and 11. Father, we come to you uh, grateful for your ongoing faithfulness and love. You keep your word. You're faithful to your people, even though we have not been faithful to you, which shows us your kindness and mercy and steadfast love. We pray this morning as we look at your word and your vision for the world, your mission for the church, your call on us as people that we would uh, be both convicted and encouraged and exhorted toward the work you call us to. Have your way in our hearts by your spirit for the glory and fame of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Hi, good morning. I'm Jeff Vanderstelt, one of the elders here, and it's my privilege to end our essential series with a call to the vision, mission, and identity of Doxa Church. So if you're a visitor with us, I want to welcome you. This is a good chance for you to get a sense of what we're about here, what we believe, and why we believe we are existing here in the east side. Uh, If you have been with us the last three weeks, we went through our cultural values as a church, and I'm bringing it to a close today with our vision, mission, and identity. And really going to be looking at what is God's vision for the world, what is Jesus' mission to accomplish the vision, and who are we in in terms of our role in that. So that's who we're going to, what we're going to look at. Uh, As I I prepared for today, I decided uh, to do some looking back. Uh, one, of the, one of our values here is that we don't take God's grace for granted. So we regularly want to look back, rehearse what God's done, and then look forward with thanksgiving and confidence that God will continue to do even greater work in the future. And so that led me to the very first message I preached on this stage, which was November 23rd, 2014. I was not even uh, a, a pastor here. I wasn't even, I was part of another church, but they were looking to see who would step in and restart the church here out of what had taken place previously. Some of you were a part of that. How many were there that afternoon or evening when I preached that message? Okay, a lot of you were there. So first of all, I want to say thank you for staying. Because, <laughs> you know, you put up with a lot. Uh, I mean, hopefully it's been great, but it's been a lot of, you know, turns and twists and, you know, it's been painful and, and beautiful all at the same time. I know what you've gone through and what you suffered through was big. And I want to just thank God for that. And then there's others of you who've joined since then. And I thank God for you as well, that God is building and forming a people, especially on the east side for the work he wants us to do in this region. So it was good for me just to pause, read that message, remember what God said to me and and Janie as well as he called us to come here. And then I read through several of the first messages of our first series, our foundation series, just to look back and say, okay, what did we say? What did God say? What did he put on our hearts? And uh, it was a a good, good time of reflection and thanksgiving. And what I was able to do is just realize God's taken us a long way. I was actually with someone the other day 
who was a part of a lot of the, the brokenness that preceded my coming and the pain that many of you went through. And we just looked at each other and said, it's a miracle. It's a miracle that we have a church. It really is. And I say that uh, because I want to give God credit for who we are today. God has been gracious and kind, merciful. Uh, God has brought healing to many of you. God has brought more stability to who we are as a church. And God, I think, is bringing clarity to where we're going. And I just want to bring us back to what I know God originally put on our hearts that was part of the calling to have me come and, and give leadership, especially through teaching. And I want to take you to Habakkuk 2.14 as a, a look back on God's call, not just for the church, but this is God's vision for the world. So let me read that for you. <clears throat> if you're new to the Bible, this is an Old Testament prophet, very small book in the Bible, but very powerful. Uh, Habakkuk says this, on behalf of God, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. This is a vision of the future. It will happen because God said it will. And there's, there's going to be a day when every man, woman, and child will have a daily encounter with God, with the reality of who he is and what he's like. Paul says it this way in Philippians 2, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And we believe that God gives us a picture of the future so we know how to, to live our lives in the present, that the future should shape the present reality, that if you read the Bible and you see that there's a future when all things will be made new, when all things will be right, where all wounds will be healed, where all relationships will be restored and reconciled, where the true nature of who God really is will be fully known and the kind of people we were always made to be will be fully realized, that day will happen. And we as people who long for that day are called to live today in light of that day. That means we're supposed to, supposed to be the first fruit of a future reality that God would bring about in our hearts, not just the longing for the future, but a, a demonstration or foretaste of that future breaking into the present. Anytime you and I submit our lives or moments to Jesus Christ, Jesus works out the future hope in our present reality in such a way that the world can see what God is like and what God is doing so they might want to actually be with God. That's, that's what's going on. And the future hope is always meant to change the present behavior in all of our lives. We're supposed to live in such a way that the true nature of who God is and what he's doing and what we will get to enjoy someday gets to be seen today, maybe in a shadow version for sure because it's not fully realized, but it still is true. This idea of glory, that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea, that word glory, it's important to understand what it means. The glory of God is the truth of who God really is. Glory is the real, true nature of a thing. 
And so when we say the glory of God, we're saying the very reality of what God is really like. We're supposed to live our lives in such a way that the true reality, the true nature of what God is really like gets to be both seen and heard through God's people. That's why we called ourselves doxa. Doxa is the Greek word for glory. We, we believe that God has called us to be a people set apart for God's purposes, most prominently and clearly to bring glory to God. Now, I want to be clear about this. You and I don't make God better, okay? We don't make him more impressive. We don't add to him. We don't go like, he's not enough, so we got to make his glory better. That's not what it means. To, to say, I live for the glory of God or I glorify God, we sing that in our songs, is not to say, I'm trying to make you look better, God. That's not what it means. It means, I want to get out of the way so what you're really like can be truly seen. I want you to be glorified, meaning I want the world to see the truth of what you're really like through our songs, through my life, through my work, through everything I do. And anything I do that robs you of glory, in other words, tells a lie about you or gets in the way of what you're really like or people seeing and experience what you really are all about, that's, that's sin. To fall short of the glory of God is to do anything that robs him of his glory, which means I take credit for his work, or distorts his glory, which is, means I confuse the world about what he's really like through my life, or tell a lie about his glory. I actually don't tell the truth of what God is like or what he's done. And so our job as God's people, doxa, is to live for the glory of God, that he might truly be known and seen for all that he is and all that he's done most fully in Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul says it this way, in Colossians 1, 27, to them, referring to those who don't yet know God, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory, the true nature of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, don't miss this. Paul is saying the only way the world's going to know the truth about who God is and what he's done is not because you and I try really hard. It's because Jesus Christ, who is the true glory of God in bodily form, has now by his spirit come to make dwelling in our lives so that through our lives he might make known what God's really like. That he might fill us with the glory of God, the truth of God through the very spirit of truth that he sent to dwell in our hearts. And the, the goal is that in Christ, God was fully seen and now in Christ, you and I might be all that he made us to be so that through us, Christ might make the Father known through our lives. That's what it means to be the church. It means to be the indwelt people whereby God dwells in you and I and through us so the world might see what he's really like. Love how Paul describes this in Ephesians 1, 22 20 through 23. If you want to understand a picture of what the church is meant to be like, here's a good picture of it. Verse 22, he put all things. How many things? Okay, under his feet and gave him his head over. How many things? All things. To who? The church. Follow with me. Which is what? Okay, come on, you guys can read. I know that. Most of you live on the east side and actually had some reading training at some point. If you, if you didn't, I, I didn't mean to offend you. It's just those of you who can, like, read with me. Let's try this again. He put how many things? All. Things under his feet, and he gave him his head over all things to who? Which is his, in which 
is the fullness of him who fills what? All in all. Okay, that's, just keep that in mind, okay? Picture this. You need, you need to understand it's a visible display of the church in a physical form, okay? So who is the head? Jesus Christ. Who is the body? The church. Where are all things? Under feet. Where does that put the church? Over all things in Christ. That's pretty amazing. That means that if you are in Christ, if you're not yet a Christian, God wants to bring you into a place through your relationship with Jesus who has authority all over all things. He wants to connect you to Jesus as the head over all things so that in Christ you might be able to go to work, go to school, go to your sports activities, go to your neighborhood and know you are walking with the authority and power of Jesus Christ who's overcome everything that destroys the world so that you might bring renewing powerful presence everywhere you go. That you might walk in and go, I'm part of the church and the church is Christ's body over which Jesus exercises authority over all things so that when I go to work, I'm going to work as though Jesus is going to work in me. My human boss, though, my human boss is not the ultimate boss. Jesus is the ultimate boss over my human boss. And so I go to work knowing he has authority over Microsoft, over Amazon, over Google, over Boeing, or whatever it may be. He has over, authority over UW if you go to school there. He has authority over your high school, over your middle school, over your elementary school. He has authority over your neighborhood. He has authority over every sports and recreation experience you could ever imagine. Jesus is over all. And that means when we walk into it, we walk knowing we are not walking into a place where we're a victim or we can't somehow bring change or hope. We get to bring the very real presence and power of Jesus into every place where we live, work, learn, and play, knowing that Jesus wants to be made known, that the glory of God would be seen through his people so the world would actually go, God loves us, God cares for us, God actually has something to say about everything in life. Amen? This is the church. I want to be really, really clear. Church, church is not this. Church is that. What I just said, it's you being God's people, filled with God's presence, sent out into the world. The reason why we're here is so you would hear that and remember that and be encouraged and equipped to go be that. If you think this is the, the pinnacle of our week, you misunderstood everything. This is like chalk talk. We're trying to remember who we are so we can go back out and be who God meant us to be in the world so that we can be for the world a picture of what God is really like. That's the only way they're going to come to know. If you're a visitor, if you're you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand that the church exists to bring the real presence of God to every place where we live, work, learn, and play so that God can be seen and known for who he is everywhere. That's who we are. And so how do we accomplish that? The vision of God is that He would be seen and known and experienced everywhere through his people, the church. How do we do it? Jesus gives us the mission, read by Anne this morning. Matthew 28, verse 6. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Maybe one of the most encouraging verses in all of Scripture. If you think about it, being with Jesus three and a half years, watching him die, rise again, They're now with a resurrected Jesus and they're still struggling with doubt. For all of you who struggle with doubt, that's good news for you. Isn't it? It is for me. I want to look at them and go like, how in the world could you have any doubt? 
after all that. And yet, doubt is not the opposite of faith. I shared that with you a couple weeks ago. Sight is the opposite of faith. When, when we finally see all that is and Jesus for all that he is, we won't have to quote unquote believe because faith is believing in something you don't yet see. So doubt is when you're struggling to actually work out what you say you believe. You know, and it's okay. In fact, if any of you are doubting here, that's evidence of faith. Right? It's evidence of you struggling with belief. It's you want to grow in your faith, but you're struggling. You have real questions, real issues. And this should be a safe place for us to say we struggle with doubt. Because if the disciples who are going to get the commission to reach the world are struggling with doubt, it's okay for us to as well. Yeah. Right? So then Jesus comes and he says to them and to their doubt, all authority, sounds similar to the earlier passage, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go, make disciples of all nations. That's all, all people groups. By the way, if we live this out, our church should look more and more like the east side because we're reaching the nations, not just people like us, people who live amongst us that are from all over the world. It's beautiful what God is doing. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe or obey all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. The mission of Jesus' disciples, the mission of Jesus' church is to make disciples of all people, all people. Where we live, where we learn, where we work, where we play, wherever it is, we believe that we're called as doxa, the people who exist for the glory of God. The truth of God might be fully known. Our mission is to make disciples in the everyday stuff of life, where you live, work, learn, and play. So I wanna just stop and, and, and make sure I say this real clearly. We, we don't believe we can effectively make disciples in this room for an hour and a half. You can't make disciples by looking at the backs of other people's heads. You have to look them in the face. You gotta know them. You gotta be in life in a community with them. You gotta be face to face and arm to arms together in life. That's, that's how it works. And so we know this is important. That's why we do it. We gotta keep magnifying Jesus, make him known through the preaching and teaching of God's word. We wanna do liturgy in such a way that shapes your everyday. You've heard us talk about how Sunday shapes our everyday, but I want, you to, I want to be really clear. We cannot be disciples of Jesus in isolation. We cannot be disciples of Jesus in a crowd. We must be in community on mission together with people we know and who know us who can together love Jesus and grow in the way that we follow him. Because a disciple of Jesus is one who has a personal relationship with Jesus, is becoming more and more like Jesus, and then is obeying the very commands of Jesus as a result. And the interesting thing about all of Jesus' commands is they require us doing it together with people. Right? So some of you are in the room, and I'm just going to speak directly to you. You're going, I would love it if I could be a part of Jesus' mission and never have to be with anybody. That's not a possibility. Okay, like it's unheard of in God's word that you would actually be in isolation and be in obedience. Okay, you've got to be in community with people. That's why we call you to be in a missional community so that you're not alone. You're learning how to make disciples together. You're growing in your relationship with Jesus by becoming more like Jesus who wasn't in isolation but was in community. And so I want to help you be with Jesus, become more like Jesus, and learn to obey Jesus as you do it. Now, before I go any further, I want to just stop and ask you to do something for me. I want you to think of a person or persons who don't yet have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Think about your neighborhood. Think about your workplace. 
Think about you know, the school you go to, the dorm you live in. Think about the sporting activities you're involved in or your kids are involved in. So I want you to just, just say, God, give me, give me a face, give me a name. Just somebody who doesn't know how much you love them, who doesn't know what you did for them on the cross, doesn't understand that you've moved heaven and earth to pursue them, that you gave up your own life, Jesus, on the cross for them. Who is it? Who comes to mind? By the way, if no one comes to your mind, then we gotta ask, like, what, what have been, what's been going on? Are you not paying attention? And I don't say that to your shame. That's not what, please don't hear that. But if, if you are in the world, you are surrounded by people who don't know Jesus. You just are. One of the most beautiful things about living in a very unchurched city is that it's not like you have to look far for mission. When people ask, what's it like to live in Seattle? I go, it's like fishing in a stocked pond. Like, there's people that, that don't know Jesus everywhere. And if you're in the room, I'm glad you're here because God is pursuing you. And you probably came because someone else invited you because they thought of you when I asked the question, who do you love and who do you care about and who do you want to know the love of God? And hopefully you're in the room because God is wanting you to hear he loves you and he's for you and he's given everything to change you through his son. I just want you to think if God loved you and I so much that he was willing to move heaven and earth, give his son to die for our sins, overcome sin, Satan, and death to forgive us and set us free, give us a new heart, empower us to live a new life, call us to be his son and daughter whom he really, really loves and who will forever enjoy heaven and earth with Jesus one day. If that's true for you, do you know the love of God enough to love others to want to know the love of God? David Platt said it this way, Every saved person this side of heaven owes the gospel to every unsaved person this side of hell. That's a really good word. We owe what we've been given so that others can receive the grace and good news of Jesus. At Doxa, as we think about this command of Jesus to make disciples, and we think especially about our baptism, we understand that baptism is a way of reminding us of our new identity those of you who've been baptized know that when we go into the waters of baptism, we, we, are we, are, we are physically signifying a spiritual reality through baptism. It's not baptism that saves. It's not baptism that cleanses. It, but it's pointing to the one who saves and the one who cleanses. And when we go into the waters of baptism, not only are we showing a picture of our, us being cleansed from our sins and washed clean forever, in Christ, but we're also showing our identification that when we go into the water of baptism, we're identifying with Jesus' death, believing that in his death, all our sin was paid for. In a sense, we died with Christ, even though we didn't have to suffer. And then when we come out of the waters of baptism, we are saying we are united with Christ in his resurrection, that we now in Christ have new life, new power, new ability to live a different life. But we also know that we baptize into the name of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. To baptize, that Greek word baptizo, means to immerse into a substance so as to take on the substance. That when you're baptized into the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, it's our way of saying you now are finding your true identity in the Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, 
God the Holy Spirit. It's like this shirt was baptized gray. It took on the very nature of the dye. When we are baptized in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are spiritually brought into the very nature and identity of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. It's a remarkable thing. that John, If you want to read more about it, read John 17 where Jesus prays, Fathers, I am in you and you are in me. May they be in us so that the world might know that you've sent me. And he, what he's saying is, would, would they have in them the very glory that you gave me so that the world would see that they belong to you, Father? That, that, that's, they're different. They, they're altogether different. This idea of giving yourself a new name throughout the entire narrative of the Bible was that you were given a name to sense, give you a new identity, which led to a new purpose, which led to new behaviors. And so in our baptism, we're saying we believe that we're not who we used to be, that if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, 2 Corinthians 5, 17. And so let's just look at that baptismal identity that we have. We are baptized in the name of the Father because God is Father, we are family. Because God is Father, we are family. Paul says it this way in Ephesians Five, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Those of us who through faith in Jesus Christ have believed that God sent the Son to be for us our righteousness, to die for us in our place for our forgiveness, to rise again for our empowerment and give us a new life. We believe that we've been called to be God's children. We've been adopted into the family of God. By the Spirit of God, we've been born again and have the very DNA through the Spirit of God to live as dearly loved children of God. And Paul is really clear. He said, the love of God is most fully displayed through the sacrifice of Christ. If you're gonna be imitators of God as his dearly loved children, the way you imitate him is you love others like he loved you. And the, the evidence of his love for you is that while you were sinners, Christ died for you. If you want to see the love of God, look at the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And then love, like you've been loved. Oh, here's the thing I love about the, the Christian faith, about what God calls us to, is God never ever calls you to do something that he hasn't already done for you and that he hasn't also done in you. He loved you through his son, then he pours out his love into your hearts, Romans 5, 5, through the spirit. So you have love from God, you've been filled with the love of God so that you can love like God. That's how it works, it's powerful. That's what's so remarkable about Christianity. Uh, uh, put it up against any other religion. All other religions are about what you must do to be acceptable, acceptable before a God. Christianity is what God has done to make you acceptable and what God does in you to change you and what God does through you to show the world what he's like. It's all on him. I love it. Like we just get to rest in the presence of God and be filled with the spirit and go out and do the work of God, not because we do it for him, but because he does it in us and to us. And through us. And so to become like dearly loved children is to meet Jesus and have him change you forever. Jesus says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You want to look at the imitation of what God's like? Look at Jesus Christ. If you're new to the faith, you're going, what's God like? How can we know? Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen what God's like. You want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus. You want to be like God? Be like Jesus. Follow him. 
Ask him to transform you and change you from the inside out. Ask him to fill you with his very life so that the life you live is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Family, I pray as you think about the people God's put in your life that you want to love like you've been loved, that, you, that God would just give you insight in what that would look like, to love them like family. You might go, yeah, but Jeff, family's a really bad word. I have ex- bad experiences. And I would say, don't let your earthly family define the heavenly one. Let the heavenly family, your new family, be defined by Jesus and the way he loves you, the way he has loved you and does love you. See, my, my hope is that when we gather, this would be a loving family. When we scatter on mission as mission communities, we would love one another like brothers and sisters so that we could say, look at how he's loved us. That's why we love you. I'm really proud of a lot of our missional communities this last year. They've been stepping out and loving others. I've heard of some who are serving our foster families so effectively. We have a lot of people who, we grew quite a bit. You heard Tim share this a few weeks ago from the number of families that were involved in foster care and adoption of kids. That's grown a lot. But what I'm more, even not more excited, but also equally excited about is the number of missional communities who said, let's come around those families and serve them. Let's love them as our family. Let's watch their kids so they can get a break and get a night out. So let's, let's pay for someone's, uh, to get a car when they don't have one. Let's try to serve somebody with a special gift when they're in need. Uh, family, you're doing really well, but I would say we still have a long way to go. And I don't say that to discourage you. I just say, I don't know yet that we look like our father as much as we'd like to. And I'd love to see that continue to grow so we can display what he's like. Amen? We're also baptized into the name of the Son. In Matthew's gospel, Jesus the Son is king. You'll you'll see that theme through the entire gospel. So when Jesus says this at the end, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, we understand what he's talking about. If you back up a few passages in Matthew, in, in both chapter 22, but especially chapter 25, you see Jesus referring to himself as the king. Okay, so it's very clear when he says, baptize in the name of the Son, that the Son is king. And if Jesus is king, what does that make us? Servants. Jesus is king and we are his servants. See, we don't just want to become more like Jesus by becoming more like our heavenly father, but we want to begin to serve others like Jesus served us. In fact, all of the commands of Jesus will lead you to serve people. It's really interesting. They'll lead you to to lay down your life for somebody else. They'll lead you to pray for someone who persecutes you. They'll lead you to give away your resources when someone's in need. They'll lead you to come alongside of somebody who doesn't have a friend. They'll lead you to bring someone into community that's living in isolation. I mean, over and over and over again, all the commands of Jesus will lead you to serve people. I I love that Jesus doesn't make this foggy, super abundantly clear. In Matthew 25, he basically says, I know that you know me because when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was hungry, you fed me. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick, you came and visited me. When I was in prison, you came to be with me. And the people that he's speaking to said, when did we see you doing that? And he says, whatever you've done it to the least of these, my brothers, you have done it unto me. Whenever you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. That's Matthew 25, 40. So what's Jesus saying? He's saying, do you want to know how you worship me and how you serve me? You serve other people as though you're serving me. I love Mother Teresa's words when she said this. She said, I just never, I came to a place where I could no longer look at anyone in the eye and not see Jesus when I was serving them. 
Let me ask you if you had that name or group of people in your mind as I ask you to set them aside for a moment, uh, your coworker, neighbor, classmate, whoever it was, if you, you were just to say, like, how do I love them like I've been loved, but how do I serve them like Jesus served me? How do I not only serve them as Jesus served me, but what if I were serving them as though I were serving Jesus? How would that change the way you serve people? I think I've shared this story with you before, but I think it's helpful. Uh, years ago, one of our, we, were, we had a, a multi-unit that we were renting out, and one of our renters came to the door and asked for some help on some things. And I'll be honest, he was a pretty difficult guy to deal with. He since has come to faith and loves Jesus, and the Lord's been changing his heart a lot. But I remember he came to the door, and I answered some of his questions, promised I would take care of a few of the things that needed to be dealt with in the apartment, closed the door, he left. Of course, I kept him on the porch while I was inside the house, right? You know what I'm talking about? And, and, and I closed the door, and Janie says, so if that had been Jesus, would, what would have been different about that? And I'm like, that's not fair. And yet, it's true, right? It's a good question. If that had been Jesus, how would I have handled that differently? And of course, you can answer the question in your own mind. I would have invited him in. I would have asked if he was hungry. I would have probably taken a lot more time to care for him. Probably I just would have fell on my face and been in awe that Jesus showed up at my house, right? And, 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 and that question haunted me. It still does, to be honest, because if I'm really honest with all of you, I forget to do that most of the time. If I'm really honest, people sometimes get in the way, not that they are the way. People are an, um, a, 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 an interruption to my agenda instead of they are the agenda. And, and if I could actually see with my eyes like Mother Teresa saw with her eyes, Jesus in every person, I promise you I would serve them differently. I would, and it wouldn't even be a drudgery. It would be a joy. It'd be a privilege It'd be a daily opportunity I can't wait to run into. And I just want to ask you, is that how you posture yourself through your day? Or are you just like, I just want to get through the day and have to serve as few people as possible? Just me, that's who I want to serve. And you go, well, Jeff, why are you calling to this? To this? Why, why is this so important? When we think about who we are as the servants of Jesus, why should we have the posture that we should be ready to serve whoever God brings across the path of our life? Well, because he served us. Jesus served us. Jesus, before he's betrayed by Judas, washes the disciples' feet, 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 at the Passover meal. There's no foot washer, and you know you, Jesus could have been, you know, the leader and said, "Hey, that's too, that's below me." But instead, he becomes the servant. And washes their feet. And after he washes their feet, he says this to them in verse 14 of John 13. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. I don't know if, you, if, you, if you're aware of this, but think about whose feet he washed. It wasn't just the disciples who are at the end with him, still for him, ready to do his will. It included Judas. He's washing the guy who's going to betray him to be crucified. He's loving an enemy in his midst. And some of you are going like, Jeff, you're calling us to serve and people are going to take advantage of us, they're going to hurt us. Our king, 
serve to the point of death so that you and I could be forgiven and enjoy heaven forever so that our, our entire world would change. I mean, what can't he ask of us in light of what he's given to us? I'm not saying being abusive relationships, please don't hear that. But I am saying most of us give ourselves tons of permission to not serve people. We sure do. I think of all the reasons you give yourself to go, I'm too busy. My schedule doesn't have enough time. People will take advantage of me. They'll use me. Look at our king. There's a reason why he's called king because whoever the king is, he sets what the kingdom's like. And if the king is a servant of all, then we who belong to the king ought to serve others like he served us. Not out of obligation, but out of joy to serve our king who laid down his life. And after Judas leaves, after Jesus washed his feet, Jesus, Judas leaves, Jesus knows exactly what he's going to do. Jesus says in verse 21, now is the son of man glorified and God is glorified in him. What is he saying? He's going, remember the word glorified means to make known the true reality of what God is like. Jesus saying, now you know what I'm really all about. I just served my enemy, washed his feet. And now you know what God's really like. God loves those who are far from him. God loves those who rebelled against him. God loves his enemies. And it will be most fully seen in what's about to happen in Judas betraying Jesus to be crucified so that the glory of God, the true nature of what God is really like will be most fully seen at the cross where the nature of our sin is on full display because it's really, really bad. And the nature of God's love and mercy is on full display because it's really, really good. That at the cross... God's judgment against sin is displayed and his mercy and love for sinners is extended so that the cross, justice and righteousness and mercy and love kiss and become one. And in Christ, you and I know the full weight of our sin. It's not, a, it's not a mystery how much God hates sin. And we know how much he loves sinners because in Christ, the love of God is poured out. You know, that's the evidence of what servanthood looks like is God's love for us laying down his life in Christ. Amen? Amen? And that's why we serve. Yeah, clap. We have a great king. And then Jesus says after that, now you've seen the truth of what God's really like. Then he says this. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What's Jesus saying? He's saying the only way the world's gonna know the love of God the Father, that he would love his enemies the way he did is when you love like he loved you, when you serve like he served you. That's how they're gonna know that everything's been changed. That the glory of God is being seen through his people, the church, loving like they've been loved, serving like they've been served. And why do we do it? Because when you and I were spiritually hungry, he fed us with his very self. When we were spiritually thirsty, he poured out his spirit to quench our thirst. When we were naked with shame and because of our sin, he clothed us with his righteousness. When we were sick and suffering because of guilt, and the sin that's been done against us, he atoned for our sin at the cross, removing our guilt and taking care of our shame. And by his stripes, we are healed from our own wounds. And we weren't just in the prison of 
of sin and death, forever damned away from the presence of God. Instead, what did Jesus do? Jesus didn't just come and visit us. He exchanged places with us. He took on the very judgment of God for us so that at the cross, we are no longer in Christ condemned, but set free from condemnation. Man, if the king of kings would do that for us, why wouldn't we do it for him when we do it to the least of these? Some of you are going like, I can't. Oh, that feels like a heavy weight, which is why we need the last one. Baptize into the name of the Holy Spirit. If we're going to become like God, our Father, by becoming more like Jesus, if we're going to obey Jesus' commands by being servants of all, we're going to have to actually have someone who can change us and move in us and work in us, and that's the Spirit of God. Jesus said in John 15, 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. How do you abide in Jesus? How does Jesus abide in you? Through his spirit. Interestingly enough, John 15 is between John 14 and John 16. Love how that works. If you know what I'm talking about, John 14 and John 16 are all about the spirit of God. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna send you a helper. I'm gonna send you a guide. I'm gonna send you one who will make all the truths about me known to your hearts. I'm gonna give you one who can enable you to do all the works that I did. I love it. In John 14, Jesus says, whoever believes in me, even greater works will he do than I did. You'll do the works I did, an even greater one. He's not trying to say it's, they'll be more impressive. He's just saying, you're going to have your whole lifetime to do the very work that I did with the help of the Holy Spirit. But why do I say that? Because, family, if right now you're listening and you're going, Jeff, I don't love like that. I don't serve like that. In fact, I kind of want to leave our church right now. If this is what you're expecting of me, and I just say, first of all, I'm not expecting it. It's what Jesus commands. Okay? But let me, let me just tell you something about Jesus' commands. Jesus always leads you to a life you can't live without him. His goal is not that you would go do stuff for him. His goal is that you would do stuff with him. His goal is not that you would go be a representative of God sent from God, but rather that God would represent himself being sent with you, in you. And that's what this last part about. Not only we baptize in the name of the Father and in the Son, but in the Holy Spirit, meaning you and I have to abide in Christ and Christ in you for us to live any of this out. The way we're going to start saying it here at Docs is the Holy Spirit is our guide and we are witnesses. Some of you are going to go, wait a minute, I thought we were missionaries. You just changed the language. Why do you keep changing things on us? We realized as elders as we wrestled through this that missionary can be somewhat confusing to some people. Some people think missionary is being sent to do a mission project. Others think it's a way of doing service. Uh, some think of uh, another religion, of people that come to your door. And then we also recognize that we aren't going to be missionaries one day when Jesus has made all things new because no one's going to have to be sent to tell everybody because everybody will know. But we will be witnesses forever. We will forever tell the story of Jesus and what he's done. Forever. We will witness to him. And it's very biblical. John 15, when Jesus is speaking of the helper, he says, when he comes, the helper comes, I will send whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness about me and you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. Then Jesus says to his disciples before he's about to ascend in the heavens in Acts 1.8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. 
You and I in our baptism have not only been given a new identity as God's children and servants of the King of Kings, but we have been now set apart as witnesses of Jesus by the power of his spirit to make sure that whatever we do is accompanied by what we say. I just want you to hear this, family. It's possible to live a life that is full of love and full of service as family and servants and then never tell anybody about it. Some of you heard me tell the story. I'm going to say, I'm going to tell it again. Donald Whitney in his books on spiritual disciplines has a chapter on evangelism and he tells a story of someone here in the Northwest who, whose lives was, life was changed over a weekend kind of evangelistic crusade here in the Northwest and went back to work on Monday and couldn't stop telling everybody about it. His boss was elated, said, oh, I've been praying for you. I've been wanting for this to happen for years. Of course, the, the employee is quite surprised. He says, what? You're a Christian? To which the boss says, yes. The employee responds, you were almost the reason I didn't become a Christian. And at that point, the, the boss is like, what? And the employee explains just so he doesn't get it wrong. He said, you live such a good life. You were such a good boss. You were so kind and generous. I kept wanting to be like you. I tried my hardest to emulate you. If I would have known it was because of Jesus, I would have had to get Jesus. But you never told me it was because of Jesus. So I thought I could be a really good person without Jesus. By the way, let me just encourage you, family. If you live a life that looks like Jesus and never give Jesus credit, not only are you robbing him of his glory, but you're also robbing someone else of coming to meet the one who changed you. We've got to open our lips. We can't just live profound lives that demand a gospel explanation. We've got to then open our mouth and explain who made us who we are, who changed us from the inside out, who is the one who changed the entire motivational system of our heart. It's Jesus who did it. There is no other name under heaven by which people might be saved. So we can't just live a good life. We've got to proclaim a good story of the one who changed everything for us. Amen? Yeah, come on. Family, my, my encouragement as we move forward, if you're part of Docs, if you're not part of Docs, you know what we're about right now. This is what we're about. We want to, we want to see the vision of every man, woman, and child get to meet Jesus on a daily basis through his people, the church. We believe that, has, that can only take place through the mission of Jesus, being disciples who make disciples in everyday life. And we believe that means we have to actually have to step into our identity. We're the family of God. Let's imitate our Father in the way we love people. We're the servants of the King. Let's serve others as though Jesus was right in front of us. And then if we've been given the Holy Spirit, we're called to be his witnesses not just in demonstrating, but also in declaring who we are. Family, I want to pray for us. I think this could be an unprecedented season of us seeing God do remarkable work, but I promise you the work that God wants to do through your life won't happen unless you surrender to him and say, Jesus, I'm available. Let me be a part of this. I want to be on your mission. Let me pray that we would do that. Father, as we go into this year, you are so worthy of our praise, our adoration. Jesus, there is no other name under heaven by which we might be saved. We believe that. We affirm that. We will proclaim that. And Lord, I pray that you would fill your people with your spirit in such a way that we would not settle for something less than what you call us to. And I pray that what you call us to would lead us to the end of ourselves so that we would call on you to come change us, fill us, work through us for your glory. You're so worthy.
And the world is so in need of this kind of love. So help us, Lord, to be those people for your glory, for their good, for our joy. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.